Hey everyone, welcome to the Grief Informed Podcast. I'm your host, Rachel Garcia, and this is a place where I bring you authentic conversations with people who are willing to share their journey through seasons of grief. No matter your cultural upbringing, societal conditioning, or faith practice, grief affects us all. Whether you're dealing with a loss, a diagnosis, a broken heart, or the everyday stressors of life, or love someone who is, these conversations are here to support you in that process. So be sure to check out the show notes for potential trigger warnings. And whether you're very comfortable with or deeply avoidant of grief and its many responses, you are welcome here. Thank you for being here. And now, on to the episode. Okay, welcome to the Grief Informed Podcast. I'm your host, Rachel Garcia, and I have with me one of the most amazing women that I know, Miss Becky Irby, who is going to give us some information before we dive into her story. Um, Becky, how are you? <laughs> I'm good. I'm, as always, glad to be with you and glad to spend time with you, and this is really fun. Like oh, I'm, I love that you're doing this. Me too. I'm glad you're here. Okay, so start us off with, so everybody can kind of get an understanding of where you come from. Give me a little bit of your cultural upbringing and background. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so my name is Becky. I am 40 years old. I grew up on the Gulf Coast in Alabama, and uh, I'm the youngest of three, the only mm. girl, mm-hmm. um, which has formed much of my life. Yes. Um, <laughs> and I uh, grew up in a traditional Southern Baptist household. Mm-hmm. Um, my parents are uh, still married today. And my dad, uh, they were both educators when I was born. Um, My dad eventually went on to go back to law school, which was quite an adventure at age, I think he was 37 with three kids in tow on my mom's public teacher salary. (laughs) Um, So uh, definitely uh, formed, I think, a lot of my life seeing how my parents pursued um, excellence in their job. Uh, We were very much a... um, your productivity determines your worth. Mm. It was a lot of uh, what formed my life. Um, you know, b- um, f- big focus on education, big mm. focus on uh, family as well. We all played sports. We all ate dinner together, um, but definitely had uh, chaos in our home with having three kids. We're all four years apart and had different friend groups. And also your brothers. Yes. The specific personalities of your brothers yeah. yes um they are the quintessential brothers um <laughs> and so we um you know definitely uh, spent a lot of time together as a family I can say we focused more on the factual things around us not a lot of self-reflection or digging into deep emotions I think that was a scarier place um one important piece as we talk about grief today an important piece of my life is um I experienced a lot of grief as a very young child so mm-hmm. When my mom was pregnant with me, her father passed away, congestive heart failure. And so that was before I was even born. Um, And then when I was two or three, my great-grandfather passed away. I was very close to him, um, lived down the street from him. And then the same year, my mom's mom uh, was diagnosed with Alzheimer's and uh, declined pretty quickly. And she passed away when uh, just a few months um, before I turned five. And then my grandfather, my, my dad's dad, passed away at age 56 very unexpectedly massive heart attack when I was in kindergarten. Um, So I I faced a lot of loss. I think a lot of children maybe it takes till they're in their preteens or teen Mm. years to have the reality of death. Um, But I faced a lot of that as a a really young child. Yeah. Wow. That is a lot. And young ages too. Yes. Very. Yeah. So saw my parents go through a lot of grief and um, try to process that and still raise children. Um, So definitely, uh, definitely experienced a lot of that, uh, that maybe is more real to me now, looking Mm -hmm. back on it than it was at the time. But I do think it still shaped a lot of my life. Absolutely. And my second question, for better understanding, (laughs) what is your Enneagram number? And how do you how do you show up as that Enneagram number? Yeah, great question. Um, I am an Enneagram one. Mm -hmm. um, So definitely a lot of focus on am I a good person? Mm -hmm. How do I avoid being a bad person? Um, This is built into pretty much every fiber (laughs) of my being. Um, I want to make sure I'm doing the right thing at all times. Um, and sometimes what's right is an interesting definition. I think I think most Enneagram ones, we 
see the world in a lot of black and white. Mm -hmm. Uh, Things are more logical. Um, That's not true for all Enneagram ones, but it's definitely true for this Enneagram one. Um, And I think, you know, being, trying to find what is right and do that thing um, defines a lot of my decision-making and choices in life. Um, Before, the Enneagram was cool. Uh, (laughs) Really cool. You all hear that? It is. (laughs) I love it. Um, Before it was cool, I, you know, was a big believer and still am in Myers-Briggs. My Myers-Briggs is an ESTJ. And so if you look at that, it's it's a little more nuanced and you will find for sure the world is very literal for Mm -hmm. someone that's an Enneagram one. Um, And I think like most of us, you know, a lot of people take personality test and they think, well, gosh, this is this defines me, or th- this is just how I am, or mm-hmm. this is just me. Um, but of course, there are healthy ways to understand what our inclinations might be, or our preferences might be, while also understanding that doesn't, it's not always practical, and there's growth right. there as well. So I think that's um, been a big part of my adult life, is understanding who I am, and why I make the decisions that I do, but also understanding the choices that I have before me. Absolutely. When, and a one goes to what in stress they is that the seven no they go to seven and growth seven and growth right four in stress right oh yeah four in stress yeah 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 how does that show up for you um the number one ways to tell that I am stressed uh is I will just become very quiet and reclusive which is just not Hmm. not typical of me right Uh, I tend to um I tend to stop externally processing. Mm. Um, I'm a big external processor, and so it's a it's a pretty easy tip to yeah. people that might see me. Yeah, and in, in growth, you go to a seven. seven. Yay! I'm married a seven, uh-huh. so <laughs> it's really funny that in growth, that's what I go toward. <laughs> um, he loves it. He's that's like, right. yay! That's all right. He's like, yeah. See, I'm the healthy one. Um, <laughs> I tried to explain that's not how that works. <laughs> Um, but I think, you know, I think in times of, in times of growth, when people know that I'm, I'm in a good place in life, it's when they're able to see the more, um, laid back, fun, uh, I wouldn't say carefree, but, uh, but, um, open to the changes in life. Mm Mm-hmm open to the unexpected and open to spontaneity. Mm-hmm. Um, when I am in my healthier places, those things are true about me. Yeah. And I do want to say as a one, what you've shown me, one of your, I believe your greatest assets is your advocacy, your ability to use that logical thinking to have effective change. Like you are responsible for helping others in similar situations and advocating for others that are going through similar experiences as you have. And, um, and I think your oneness drives a lot of that. I mean, just also your heart too, because you're pretty amazing. Okay. So today you're here to talk about an experience that you've had that has brought grief to the forefront for you. Um, can you share that with us? Yes, absolutely. Um, I actually can't tell this story without talking about you first. Okay, good. Yeah. So uh, we <laughs> yeah, we met. Yeah, we met. Um, we met. Gosh, Rachel, it's been like 13, 14 years ago. Yeah, 13 because Isaac was, he was a newborn. He was six months old, yeah. I'm pretty sure, mm-hmm. when we met. So many years ago. Yes. yes. Our skin looked better. Um, <laughs> We were younger. Um, We met, so we actually both, for totally different reasons, not knowing each other, came into uh, what I would describe as a women's continued growth group as uh, as adults, um, you know, women who had probably gotten married or had children and were just facing the changes that life might put in front of us. Um, Mm -hmm. And so that group, um, I it was a pretty large group. Most of the time there were 20 to 30 women that were yeah. there. Um, but Weekly? I, yes, weekly. Mm-hmm. And I would say we were pretty instantly attracted to each other's hilarity. Yes, we um, are both very hilarious. <laughs> and love of tacos. Yes. Oh, my gosh. Um, and cheese dip. That's right. Yeah. So we, but no, we truly, like, I, I was drawn to you pretty much immediately. And I think, you know, I was thinking about this this week before coming over here, Um I think the big thing about why I was drawn to you is you had just an insatiable desire to grow and change. Mm. You just weren't done. And I think as 20, 30-something-year-old women, in a lot of ways, generationally, culturally, a lot of women are like, 
hey, I'm done. This yeah. is who I am. Like, I'm baked. Yeah. This is me now, you know? <laughs> um, and that was just not you. I could tell that you were like, hey, this is who I am right now. Mm-hmm. But tomorrow could be different. And right. next week could be different. Um, and it was something I was seeking in my life as well. I didn't, I, I didn't really like who I was at the time or like want to be that same person for a long time. And I was trying to find my way. Right. Um, and I felt like your honesty about the fact that you hadn't arrived. Right. Um, and also... Still haven't. Nope, nope, still searching. <laughs> um, me too. Uh, I think your honesty and authenticity about that and also just your willingness to be something different um, was just such an attractive thing in a friendship for me. Um, and I would say, if you look at the two of us now, compared to who we were then, we're completely different people. We're, we're nothing like who we were when we Absolutely. met. Um, and I think that's, at least in my experience, that's the sign of the best kind of friends. Right. Um, so yeah, that's how we met. And in those early days, I think I joked with you, I, I was not a mom at the time, uh, but I was married. And I think when I learned what you did, you were the first person I ever heard use the term doula. Yes. I didn't even know what a doula was. Um, <laughs> a doula and a childbirth educator. Yes. So I was like, what is that? Tell me more. You mm-hmm. told me it was, you know, helping women go through childbirth and in the way that they desire, very often unmedicated. And mm-hmm. I think I cracked a joke like, oh, tell your clients to put their epidurals on ice, you know, yeah. for when it's my turn. I'll take as many of those things as you want. Um, so that, uh, you know, that was one of our first conversations. Um, but only probably a few short years later, um, mm-hmm. I was pregnant. Yes. And I was starting starting to think through what what did I want that to look like and how you know how did I want to bring my child into the world and so um, I think I remember uh, gosh I must have been four months maybe five months pregnant I remember being up at like two in the morning probably sick or something and sending you an email and being like okay was it an email because that's making me feel old oh it was an email oh wow um that's how we communicated (laughs) back then I don't think either either of us text back then okay okay um I sent you an email that said I think I'm losing my mind. I think I want to have childbirth naturally, uh, uh-huh. which was really yeah. funny. I came to that conclusion after some studies and reading. And so um, so you were my doula. Yes, um, so I was. I got to be there. That's right. So um, that really kicks off the story of mm. why I can talk about grief, even though I had these experiences as, young, as a young child. Um, when my son was born, so my, my son, Gabriel, um, who we also call Gabe or Gaby. Or baby Gabriel. Or, I'm sorry. I still do it. I'm so sorry. That's okay. okay. Yeah. Uh, that's okay. Baby Gabriel is acceptable. Uh, he's 11. He's 11. But we'll go with it. Um, when, uh, so he, he was born on his due date, mm-hmm. uh, a little due date baby. And, um, it was my first time, you know, giving birth to a child. And so Rachel was there. You yes, were there to help me. you had an amazing labor, like just pro, absolute pro in the zone, watching you and Garrett. It was amazing. Y'all did a beautiful job. Which is uh, not how I would describe it. Uh, I didn't feel like... <laughs> Didn't feel like I was doing a pro job, but man, that is just so kind of you to say. Um, but we, you know, she was there with me the whole time in labor. Um, and there's an interesting part, I think, which luckily I took your childbirth classes as well. I knew this would happen um, very much of uh, when when you are in childbirth, regardless of what your choice, choices are around epidurals or natural or whatever it doesn't matter um you're you're very much in your brain um there, and weird things happen in your brain yes, <laughs> during that time yeah, um but i can remember just uh you know your voice standing out i knew to listen to you i knew you were the one to trust and so um you were there and mm-hmm. um after a very long uh of course everyone feels like labor's pretty long uh, especially <laughs> the first one um i gave birth to my son uh, mm-hmm. within I remember the moment I gave birth to him, uh, making eye contact with the uh, doctor who Mm -hmm. delivered him, Dr. Campbell. And um, I could tell the second I looked at her, I I reached for him and she just looked up at me over the, you know, mask that they wear. And I just knew, I just, Mm -hmm. just knew. And she said, he's got to go. And that's all she said. And about four to five seconds later, I would say, Mm -hmm. um, no less than 15 people came running in the room. She had she had hit the emergency button um, for a code. And um, Gabe was really struggling. He was um, gray and blue, just mm-hmm. not um, showing signs of life. Um, and so they worked on him for, 
um, probably only a minute or two in the room. I remember them saying, we're going to bring you to a mom so you can give him a kiss, right? Um, mm-hmm. But um, that was literally just like I kissed the back of his head and mm-hmm. he was gone. Um, right. he, was, he was gone out of the room up to be worked on. Um, and so really from that instant, um, grief entered my life in a way that has been all-encompassing and all-changing. Um, and, you know, there are some people who go through that exact experience and their child makes a full recovery, uh, right. as people call it, and leads a typical life and there's no impact. Um, and that, that has not been our story. Mm-hmm. Um, Gabe fought for his life for about three or four weeks in the NICU. Um, we learned over the course of several weeks that he had sustained a, a stroke, um, what's um, called hypoxic ischemic encephalopathy or an HIE, which is a global brain stroke. It's not a localized stroke where mm-hmm. a portion of the brain is without oxygen, his entire brain was without oxygen unknown reason don't know if it was as I was given birth right the day before uh, no one knows um but uh he's he has about 50 percent brain loss as a result of that Mm. um and in the hospital you don't learn those things in the hospital because you have to children have to get older before you know what milestones they're not hitting and so all we knew at the time that we left the hospital when he was about a month old was this will likely impact his life his his growth and development there will likely be things that he can't do but it could be anywhere on a range it could be that he has an arm or a leg that doesn't function as a typical body would um, all the way to he might be completely you know severely disabled and rely on you for anything and everything Mm. Um, so the way you cope in the early days with that is you're like he will have a arm an arm or a leg that is a little different right (laughs) that's it and so um, the hardest part the hardest part especially for a a planner and Mm. someone who likes to you know, just tell me the truth. Just get, just tell me the truth and let me work on that. Um, the hardest part of that was that we needed to wait about four to eight months before we would start seeing him miss milestones mm. and know how severe on that spectrum his disability would be. So, um, so yes, that's, that's my story of just entering in. Of course, many years have passed since then, and we can dig more into that. But um, that's my story of how grief just really became something that was a part of my life to becoming a lens that I see the world through. Yeah. Wow. And just as you said, the early days of how grief affected you then to where it is now, a lot of that was unknowns, a lot of unknowns that you had to deal with waiting for the next milestone point to drop and and then you get there and then he's not reached that milestone. That's right. What was the, what do you think became your like, how did you grieve through that? How did, what was your process through that in the early stages? Yeah. Um, the early stages were a mixture of just utter denial. Like he's going to be, he's going to be fine. Babies get off to a hard start, right? People start coming out of the woodworks early telling you like, Oh, my friend Janie's little boy had the same thing and he's totally fine. Right. Uh, and you start to want to believe that so badly that you just live there. So I think it was a mixture of denial um, combined with the an obsession with the what ifs and mm-hmm. the what happened. Um, I've got to resolve these questions. What happened to him? How did this happen? How can we make sure this never happens again with our right. other children if we if we have more children one day? Um, and I think I stayed there for um, three or four months mm-hmm. when we started to see Gabe's milestones be unmet. And it was pretty obvious that he wasn't just missing one or two. He was missing all of them around six months of age. My world turned very quickly to, you know, lock the doors, batten down the hatches. It's just us. Like, it's yeah. just me, my husband, our child. And it's just us kind of against the world. Um, and I don't remember a lot of his first year of life. Um, it's kind of a hard thing. I think trauma can mm-hmm. do that. Mm-hmm. Um And so I wouldn't say that when I look at the first year to 18 months of Gabe's life, our outlook and the way that we processed information and how we, how we interacted with grief is radically different from when he was about 19 months old. Mm. And um, there are a lot of ways to explain that trauma, of course. Um, But I think also there was so much unknown and we just wanted Gabe to be okay. I think I can remember my husband in the NICU. He, um, everyone, 
everyone that came to our room uh, had to pray over him. And it wouldn't have mattered if it was, I mean, it could have been any, the janitor could have come in to sweat and, <laughs> and to sweep. And Garrett would have said, come on over here, we're praying over our child. And we prayed and prayed over him. And I remember Garrett used the phrase, "We, uh, God, please help Gabe to know love and to be able to show love back. Mm. And that was his constant prayer um, mm. as a little guy. And so and when Gabe was really little. And so we just, I think that's what our focus was yeah. in those early days. Yeah. And then how did that shift for you? Yeah. To, <laughs> to, to now. Yep. I think where things changed, you know, um, we were going through major sleep deprivation. Uh, it's funny. I think because I didn't know, because I knew that our journey wasn't normal, I didn't know how abnormal certain things were. So Gabe was only sleeping about four hours a day, a lot of days. Like he'd wow. do two two-hour shifts. Um, some days we'd get him up to a whopping six hours. But, <laughs> um, you know, all all new parents are sleep-deprived. We were yeah, at another level. Extremely sleep deprived. Mm-hmm. And so um, after many, many tests, I mean, it took us it took us until about 18 months for Gabe to really be on all of the medications that would have his body not experience pain and frustration and confusion. Mm-hmm. Um, and around that time, we finally, after everything else was in place, we figured out that based on the level of damage to Gabe's brain, that he would not naturally enter a sleep cycle, mm-hmm. um, which was why he was upset all the time and why we were therefore upset all the time. (laughs) Um, And so we started him on a medication that helps him sleep when he was 19 months old. Uh, So I will attribute a lot of it to just sleeping, rest, what it does for our bodies. Um, But also around that same time, uh, Gabe started to smile at Mm. us. Um, we had seen some smiles, uh, as typical early baby smiles go. It was just like passing gas or right. something. His body felt good. Um, Relief. Um, but around around that time, around 18 or 19 months old, things that we could do as parents mm-hmm. would elicit a reaction and a smile from him. Mm-hmm. And um, part of Gabe's uh, brain damage is that he's diagnosed with what's called cortical visual impairment. I'll throw out lots of big medical That's terms. Um, he he's essentially cortically blind, which means that all the all of the equipment. And his eyes, um, his optic nerve, all of the equipment works just fine, but his brain can't process the images. And so um, we were, here we were, you know, going through extreme grief, trying so hard to connect with our child and he couldn't make eye contact with us. Mm -hmm. He didn't smile much at us from what we did or how we interacted with them. And um, that puts an immense pressure and stress on the bonding process with Mm -hmm. your child. Um, And so as he started to, I mean, we felt just so in love with him, um, but as he started to react to us and interact with us, um, it really blew the doors open on just our experience as parents and how we process grief. And so it became more of, you know, if we can have this, if we can have what my husband prayed for, which was let him receive love and be able to show it to others. Mm -hmm. And once that was true, once we had that, I felt like we could face the other things. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we left the world of denial and kind of entered the world, the world of this is our reality that we, we do have a severely disabled child. Gabe was not on the end of having an arm or a leg that didn't function. Typically he wasn't even in the center. He was on the other extreme Mm -hmm. and that's okay as long as we have each other, as long as we can give love and show love to each other. And uh, that's really where, where our experience with grief changed and where our outlook changed. Mm, Wow. And to know that that prayer was answered, that's powerful. And his smile, (laughs) (laughs) one of his amazing features besides his eyelashes uh, is his smile. Yeah, It just lights up a room. You can't help but just cackle yes you see him smile. he's he uh you know uh, the thing that I tell a lot of people around Gabe I can I can tell you all of his diagnoses I can tell you the things that he struggles with the milestones that he's missed we have to know all of those things um but what I like to tell people about Gabe is he is the definition of joy he is even in the hardest of times he's uh you know this mm-hmm. Rachel uh, he's going through a really hard time this week with a, a 
overcoming a virus. And uh, he's just so happy. He's just, he brings joy into everything. Um, there are nurses that when he has surgeries or they have to give him shots or IVs and he'll take a deep breath and then he immediately smiles at them. And the nurses are like, oh my goodness. Like <laughs> he's just, he's so sweet. I hate doing these things to him uh, right. more than any other child because he just takes it so well. But he is, he's just, he's, he's just the epitome of joy. And um, it's hard when, when we see people that knew us when Gabe was a baby mm. and they see him now, it really blows their mind because right. he was so upset and so unhappy as a little guy while we right. were trying to figure out all the medications. Um, but now he just, he's, he loves everyone. Right. And, and what makes that difficult too, as you explained to me, when you're nonverbal, when he's nonverbal, he can't communicate what's bothering him, but you guys have become such, I mean, just incredible because you know your son to be able to, to help pinpoint, we think this is what's going on with him and being able to help educate even the doctors. They trust your judgment now where maybe in the beginning there was less of that. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we had to, we had to learn. You, you mentioned advocacy earlier mm-hmm. and thank you for, for saying that. Um, it is, it's something that I think has been built into part of my personality. Um, before I was a mom of a, a child that I needed to be his voice and advocate. Um, but we took that very seriously and we got some good, um, advice early on about learn the medical terms, use the medical terms. When you talk about things, um, mm-hmm. make sure that when you show up that you are doing your best to, present that you know your stuff so that you will be listened to and can advocate. Um, And I can't tell you how many times we've had a a doctor in an emergency situation look at us and say, what do you think, mom? Or what do you think, dad? Um, Which is equally terrifying (laughs) and and such a a powerful thing because we do know him. We do know him so well. Absolutely. Well, okay, so my question that I asked, and I want (laughs) to... I texted you because it, it came to mind this morning, and I think this is helpful for what I why I want to have the podcast is for others to understand how to approach in those situations when you see someone that is having this life experience and maybe you don't know how to how to be supportive or how. First, I want to ask: In what way did people show up well for you throughout this process? Yeah, um, for y'all. Wow. Um, I could talk for eight hours. We don't have eight hours, but um, I'll hit some of the high points. Um, We have had an outpouring of wonderful love shown to us over the 11 years of Gabe's life, Um, even as recent as Friday. Just having the generosity of people, the um, the generosity of spirit, people showing up for us. Um, We have had, I'll call out a couple of really cool things. Um, When you go through a tragedy, um, and I very much would categorize what we went through as a tragedy, right? We thought we were going to come home with the typical first baby boy, um, and we're so excited, and that is not what happened. Um, Things get really quiet. You have a few people stick around, a few people that would go through anything with you. Um, but you learn very, very quickly who's just not able to hang, mm. who's not in it to be in the world of grief and to sit with somebody that's crying a lot or right. devastated. Um, but as the months go on, I think that people interact with you in a way that is so authentic. Um, we had so many people show up, um, even in Gabe's very young life, uh, as he was having a lot of emergencies. My husband actually just before Gabe was born, had started graduate school. So at night, he would work during the day, and at night, um, he would be at school. And uh, Gabe was having these emergencies, and so I was home alone at night, having extreme anxiety over being by myself and something happening. We'd already called 911 once for Gabe choking as a a one-year-old. We actually had a church small group that was just looking to give back to a family, and Mm. uh, they heard about us through one of Garrett's classmates and said, hey, can we just come over on the night that Garrett had the longest classes? Can we just come over and just be with you? And Mm. we don't really know what to do, but you can show us and maybe we can like help you do laundry and we'll we'll bring a meal. Um, And I can never thank that group enough for, um, they were, it was a very large, they called it a small group. I don't see how. (laughs) (laughs) There were about 15 (laughs) couples and um, and other than one couple that was clearly not into dogs and my, my dog was uh, caught like licking the lady's hair at one point. Um, other than that one couple, um, you know, the rest of that class was just all in and yeah. loved us and, mm. and became like extended grandparents. We don't have family in town. Mm. 
And so to have to just know if we really got in a pinch, I could have texted or called any of them and they would have been there for us. And um, what a powerful thing, even when people aren't necessarily needed for an emergency, to know that they are there if one should happen is amazing. Um, We also have just had people step into our world and be okay with the differences and have been curious. Mm -hmm. I would say if you are looking to support someone, just be curious. Everyone wants to be known and understood. Um, And so for people to just say, you know, tell me more. Like, I don't, I don't fully understand all of this. Tell me more. What did you say? Spell that again. Um, it, it means so much. And so to have people come along us and be curious about Gabe and curious about how it's changed our lives meant so much. Um, and that showed up. I, I had people, uh, I still work where I worked at the time of Gabe's birth, mm-hmm. um, having people that I worked with say, how does this impact you? How can we help? How can we make sure you're still able to keep this job that you love and to do it well? I had a, a boss for 10 years that mm-hmm. was, uh, she would hate that I called her a boss, but uh, <laughs> she was she was just amazing. She was such a leader in that way to say, I know you want to do good work. How do you show up for that, right? Just feeling such support there. Um, and I would say too, just uh, being willing to change. You know, I mentioned earlier that as a friend, I was so drawn to you because you were not in one place in life. You wanted to grow and to change. Uh, And so I think we've had family and friends be that way with us to say, we don't know anything about helping a special needs child or all of the things that Gabe requires, but like, show us, show us how to do it. So um, specifically my mom and my Mm -hmm. husband's dad have learned so much about how to care for Gabe and having an extra set of hands to uh, deliver medicine and uh, to suction Gabe when he needs it, to um, comfort him in the way that he needs comforting uh, has meant the world to us just to give us a, a respite or a break. Um, Absolutely. And then last thing I'll mention is that we've had these amazing respite groups um, where uh, these are um, very often churches or nonprofits that serve in churches that provide one or two days a month where Um, parents can connect with each other and uh, know that their child is safe and secure. I mean, one of these, I think about it all the time, (laughs) Gabe's probably in better care with them than anywhere else, probably better than the hospital. You know, they have (laughs) therapists and doctors and nurses that are all there that one night every single month um, and they deliver excellent care and Gabe's with his friends and he's having fun and he's there. They always watch a Disney movie, which he loves. Um, And so that's right. And so we have have just a complete worry-free four hours together once a month Um, and um, that has done so much for us so we've we've just seen an outpouring of this we call this uh, there's a a movie many well not that many years ago fairly recent movie called silver linings playbook and Mm -hmm. so we call this our silver linings gabe book there are things that um, things that we experience in life that are silver linings that we would have never had without having this tragedy and The biggest one, the biggest one is the way that people show up for Mm. people that are in major hardship. And um, we have had to learn in that to accept it, to Mm. accept help and to not try to do it all ourselves. And um, it has been transformative for me to just accept the goodness that's been put in our path. Mm, I love that. That's amazing. Okay, so now the question, (laughs) how how have people cause some irritation or could show up better and I I worded this in one of the most frustrating parts of I believe grief is when others aren't sure how to comfort and they might say something they've heard thinking it might bring comfort and in actuality it's to the person receiving it is is very irksome and I said do you have one of those platitudes that has bothered you yes and could you explain why it bothers you yeah, most platitudes actually. Um, uh, yes, <laughs> and and that should be that should be a tip off. I'll share one that really bothers me. But I think the biggest tip off is if you are trying to quickly meet someone in grief, you're doing it wrong. Right. You just aren't. It, uh, meeting someone in grief takes time. It mm-hmm. takes investment. And so it's okay, by the way, if you're not in a place to invest in someone's grief, that's okay. Um, but it'd be better to not do it all than to try to do a one-liner. Yeah, um, right. <laughs> not going to help anyone. Um, the one that we hear the most. Okay. Utter strangers, people we've never met, people we've known our entire lives. Um, all along the spectrum of that, uh, the one that we hear the most is God gives special children to special people. Mm. 
Um, and I say that a bit tongue in cheek, uh, but <laughs> we hear it all the time, all the time. And in the early days, I just tried to like, I already had so much on me. I didn't really want to confront strangers or people that I knew. Right. Um, and I just tried to say, oh, okay, thank, thanks so much. <laughs> but um, now I kind of feel sorry for people when they say that to me yeah. because I- <laughs> You just opened a can. <laughs> yes. I feel, uh, you know, back to advocacy. I yeah. feel compelled mm-hmm. to make sure they understand how that lands on the ears of the person they're saying that to because there are other people who won't ever speak up and right. say, gosh, please don't say that. Um, and so it's given me an opportunity to talk to people and to help them maybe choose yeah. a different phrase next time. But um, there's a few reasons for that. Uh, and I think the biggest thing is it's not true. Um, most of us, if you are in the special needs community, you go to clinics and doctor's appointments as though it's your job. Um, we are in clinics and doctor's appointments all the time, and we see plenty of very special, very precious children who have been abandoned mm-hmm. and who have been left um, and who do not have a home and a family. And so the first part of it is it's just not true. It's just not factual that right. God doesn't give every special needs child or child with extra needs to a special family. Right. Um, it sounds great. It yeah. would be awesome if that were true. It's just not. So right. factually, it's untrue. Um, but a couple of other things. I don't want to be special. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> I just wanted to be, I just wanted my life to look like how most people's lives mm-hmm. looked. I wanted it to be normal. Right. Um, I wanted to bring my baby home and to start thinking about maybe a couple of years later having another baby. And I right. um, wanted to have a big family and... I didn't want to be special. That's right. the last thing I wanted. Yeah. Um, and so it doesn't really land on the ears very well when all you really want to do is be normal. I, you know, now right. I'm a full-time caregiver that also works full-time and also essentially a critical care nurse. Um, right. Things happen all the time at our house that if it happened in someone else's, it would be the worst tragedy of their lives, but right. it, it happens it's weekly. It's a Tuesday. That's right. You. That's right. right. Yeah. Um, but then the last thing that I'll say about it is it suggests that God is looking around and is like, okay, so Becky's special. So I'm going to give her a child with special needs because she's just fully, because she's special, she's just fully equipped to handle this. And mm-hmm. the reality is that's not true. It is so not true. I, I am no more equipped than any other person to bring home a child with special needs. Um, in fact, part of my planner nature and my stress over not being able to predict certain things probably put me at a disadvantage. Yeah. Um, so it's just not true that God gives special children to special people. What I do think is true and how I try to help people when they make the mistake of saying that phrase in my vicinity <laughs> um, is to help them rephrase it and to say, God will call out extraordinary things you did not know were possible of, mm. of you. He will call out extraordinary things that he put inside of you um, because of the hardship you're going through. And it's so much more of, I think it shows what I believe is a true character of God, which is that he has this close, intimate love with us where he prepared us for something, or even if he didn't prepare us, he's giving us what we need in that very moment, um, which is so different than this distant, oh, Becky's special. I'm going to give her a special needs child and then move on. Right. Um, and I think I think helping people rephrase the fact that God will call out of you extraordinary things that you did not know were possible and you will right. you will move out of his way so that your child gets the love and care from God directly and you're just simply a vessel of yes. delivering that. And it's so much more of a comfort um, than thinking like, you're special and you don't feel very special. I can promise you right. as a special needs mom. Right. And you said at the end of that, when you uh, earlier that it's a choice that you're showing up, you still have to choose every right. day to show up every day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Every day. And, and a lot of people don't make that choice. And, um, and there are so many reasons and I can so understand and have compassion that I wouldn't have had without living in it. But there are a lot of people who can't make that choice. And, and for that reason, there are a lot of children in our foster care systems and children that have been adopted um, that aren't with their original parents. And so 
it's just an untrue statement. I think it's it's so much more about the fact that there are people who are willing to change their world, to change their lives. I mean, our life looks nothing like it, like it did before Gabe. I don't even really even remember right. life before Gabe because now I'm a full-time caregiver. My husband is a full-time caregiver and we team up in that in a big way. Um, and our life just looks different. And we do, we choose that every single day. Every day. And, and you mentioning um, Garrett and how your marriage that led to this that's my next thought is in a marriage where you have such high need for your child and you're both caregivers for him, it is going to impact your own relationship. And one thing that you said, so we had your birthday trip in North Carolina and a girl's trip only, there were four of us. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And um, on that trip, I remember asking you just generically, what do you want for the next year? You're a year older. What do you want for this year? And you brought home such beautiful truth in stating it wasn't just this year, but what you were cultivating and how that affects your marriage and in the future. Can you share about that? Yeah, sure. Um, that was a great trip, by the way. Thanks it was for coming. Amazing. <laughs> um, I mean, when you go 40, you got to go big. Yes. Um, so, my husband and I have been dating since I was 15. Um, mm-hmm. We He was 19. I was 15. We dated for about 10 years. I uh, had a few breakups in there, um, but dated for about 10 years before we got married. And um, we do have this uh, just rich history of friendship between us. Um, but our whole world changed when Gabe was born. Our whole world changed. And that's true for so many first-time parents, but it was true like times a thousand right. <laughs> in our situation. Um, and, you know, when when Gabe was little, we were told his life expectancy with the severity of brain damage that he had sustained was probably eight or nine years. And mm. I mentioned earlier, he's 11 now. Right. So we've surpassed that. And and it's such a beautiful thing. And we appreciate every single day. And also, mm-hmm. we know that given the natural course of things, that we will have a marriage and a life beyond having our son physically with us on earth. Mm-hmm. And it's the most excruciating part of all of this. It's it's the part that consumes a lot of my thoughts. And uh, when you asked me that question, I was in a pretty tender place um, at the time of wanting to make sure that um, Garrett and I were pouring so much into each other as teammates and as husband and wife, um, because the thing that would be so devastating is to lose our family, mm-hmm. even when our family looks different, even when we may not have Gabe physically here on earth again, wanting to make sure that we have done everything to have each other and not lose each other in that. Um, and th- there are a lot of situations where you know grief is, it's not in the past, it's not what you're going through right now, but it's anticipated grief, mm-hmm. it's grief that you know is coming. And so how do you how do you look at that other person across from you and build in layers of friendship and trust and intimacy and understanding to potentially weather the worst possible thing that could happen to you. I mean, I I don't know many parents that would say anything would be worse than losing their children. Um, And so, you know, what I explained on that trip and my answer to you was I'm, I'm in a place of really looking at what is the legacy of Gabe's love and joy on this earth? What is that legacy? And, um, we, we have seen many friends walk through losing children. Um, one of the interesting things about grief as it pertains to the special needs community is once you are in the special needs community, it's no longer just your grief. You see all the children around you go through horrific surgeries, awful hospital stays, um, medicine rejection, the side effects of medication and death. Mm. We have had several, uh, friends lose their children. And we have seen several of those couples go on to divorce and, that is a private journey for them. It breaks my heart so right. much. Uh, and I think it breaks my heart, not because I'm saying, I, I don't know enough to say whether they should stay married, but I think it breaks my heart because there was this shared love and care for this child. Mm. And that child's experience 
of love was so much the joint love of their parents. And to know that that doesn't exist in the world, that there's this powerful, selfless love of parents in a special needs situation, um, to know that that's fractured just breaks my heart. Yeah. And so um, that is a that is a big focus of my life right now is how how do I make sure that in the sleepless nights of having a sick child for the last 10 days and um, and trying to make sure that I'm still investing in my relationship with my husband and investing in continuing to grow together and continuing to change and continuing to be honest about the terrifying things that are probably in both of our heads right. that we don't talk about and to verbalize those things. And I've been really blessed with, I mean, my, my husband, I, I love him to pieces. Garrett is as much of a parent as I am. Um, mm -hmm. I'm here with you right now. He's taking care of my sick child, our mm -hmm. sick child. And I don't, he's Gabe is not receiving any less care than right. he would if I was there. And so that's not always the truth. Um, in every marriage, but I'm so blessed to have such a teammate and such a um, brave and courageous spouse to wade into the hardships of life with. And so I think, uh, I think that is what my focus is, is how do I, how do I honor Gabe, whether he's here in my arms or he's not, how do I honor him beyond what what tragedy might hit in life and how do I, um, how do Garrett and I do that together as a team and how do we honor Gabe the best way that we can? Yeah. Which you guys do an exceptional job. It's, it's fascinating to watch because one, I know both of you personally and just the nature of your relationship is so supportive of one another, your goals, your jobs, your any endeavor that y'all are doing, you are supporting each other. And then just seeing how much you are an advocate for Gabe and also for those in your community experiencing the same thing. It's, it's, it's just powerful. And it, uh, I did something you mentioned about on that trip was you said that you wanted to create a baseline of joy even now, because you knew, you knew that you would need to lean on that later, yeah. which was, that stuck with me. Yeah, I mean, I think, um, you know, there's this, uh, so ironically, uh, in the most wonderful way that irony can be, we named our son Gabriel Lewis, uh, L-E-W-I-S, after C.S. Lewis. Mm -hmm. um, my husband and I both um, have had a lot of our spiritual lives formed by the writings of C.S. Lewis. And um, there's this amazing part that uh, of Problem of Pain that C.S. Lewis writes where he talks about even the most temporary of suffering, that in heaven God will work it backwards, that heaven, heaven itself works backwards and undoes the tragedy of this world. Mm. And it's hard for our brains to really know what exactly that means. Um, but I, I definitely believe it and is how I get out of bed every single day. I, there's not a single day that goes by that I don't think about that, of mm. the hard things and the, the suffering that we see, that it will work backwards. I think, I think the important part of that as it pertains to our joy is that I just don't think God works like we do, where we're thinking like today's Sunday and tomorrow's a Monday and um, it's it's currently 2024, but in six years it'll be 2030. I just, God is so less concerned with this time and it's more about experience. And so what I don't want to do is to have joy that just withers away, mm. um, you know, on, on the event that we lose our child. I, I want to have the kind of joy that is present because of what we experienced and, and present because of Gabe, whether he's with us or in heaven. And it's become such a big focus for me of building that into my memory, building it into my outlook on life um, and building it into how I approach that choice that I make every day to care mm -hmm. for Gabe. And I think that trying to focus on joy and what it means, you know, joy, joy is very different than happiness. Mm -hmm. And I'm happy a lot. I'm really happy very often. Um, but on a week like this where my dog's sick, my child's sick, works really hard right now. I have a broken toe. That's very <laughs> painful. I'm in the third week of wearing a boot on my foot. Um, okay. There are times where happiness is is no longer there, and it's such a fleeting thing. But joy, joy remains. Mm. So how can I make sure that joy will always be there, um, regardless of what my earthly situation might be? And how do I cling to that 
hope of heaven. And right. um, that's that's been such a such a big focus for me as we've gotten to, you know, we know that we're in the good years. Mm-hmm. Um, and we know that, uh, you know, not to get too statistical, but it's like a bell curve. You, you experience a, a large portion of your life with your special needs child at the height of what things are going to be. They're, these are the good years. This is as good as it's going to get for us. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and not be so scared about when that's going to drop off one day, but to just embrace what we can in our reality and to know that millions of other families have gone through this. It's not just us. We're not alone and millions will come behind us. And I think that's mine and Garrett's focus is those families that come behind us. How do we maybe save them a little of the heartache that we experience or a little bit of the stress or feeling alone that Mm -hmm. we experience? How can we make it easier for them? Um, Because we're just not, we're not this unique situation. It's very common. Mm, Which is a beautiful segue into the parents coming behind you, I, I imagining you as uh, early stages of this. And there's a young parent, young parents that are out there that want to show up for this experience and want to be there for their child and grow and grow in their capacity and grow in their ability to be present with what is, what would you say to that, that young couple that's just gotten this diagnosis or just going through the revealing of what what is to come for for their experience in this way. Yeah, I, I think the first thing that I would tell them is you are going to find immense joy that would not have been possible mm. if this had not happened. And I know you don't feel that way today, and I didn't feel that way in the beginning either. It's okay not to feel that way today. It's okay to be frustrated that I just said that. But one day you will look up and think, I have it the best that anybody could ever have it. How lucky am I to live this life? Um, And I think giving them that reassurance and also telling them it's going to take a while to get there and it's going to be hard and you're going to like, please find a way to lean on other people and accept their generosity, accept their love, accept their acts of service to you. Um, I think the other thing is to tell them, I mentioned earlier, I'm an Enneagram one. I like logical things. I like for things to be good or bad. I like for things to be up or down mm-hmm. or right or left. Um, get comfortable with duality. Ooh, get yes. comfortable with the gray. I can, in the same sentence, tell you, Rachel, that I would give anything to go back and to save Gabriel from his brain injury. Mm-hmm. I would give anything to go back and change that. And also, I would not change a single thing about my story. Right. And I can tell you those two things as honestly as I'm saying each of them. Right. Um, it doesn't make sense because it's not meant to make sense. It's just how it is. I, I both want my, ch- my son not to face disability and also have the most wonderful story that I wouldn't change because of his disability. Mm. Um, so I think just telling them you are going to have times that you're going to fight the two opposite feelings mm. as often as you can just embrace them at the same time both because they're both true um and i think the other thing is to find your people um mm-hmm. to find your people if you have friends and i did i had lifelong friends that they could not hang and that is okay they might be able to hang one day it just wasn't at the time that i needed them um and and that that can both be okay and also do not spend your time with people who are not living in reality with you right. find your people that will understand the grief you're going through it doesn't necessarily mean they are also insert whatever tragedy you've gone through it doesn't mean they're also special needs parents in my situation right um but we have found some amazing friendships in our world. I mean, just last night, Gabe is sick. It was our respite night. So we had our four precious hours of respite a month, but we, we couldn't take him. He just, his level of care, he needed his mom and dad. Um, and two of our very closest special needs parent friends, um, they dropped their children off at respite, decided to forego their date night, their precious once a month date night to bring food over to us at our house and to, (laughs) to spend the night with us, right. To, to, invest in our friendship with them to care for us, to help us change Gabe's diaper and suction him and um, Mm. to just sit with us in our home because we couldn't leave it. And so find those people. Like, why would I spend any time with people who aren't showing up for me like that or that I'm not compelled to show up for in the Mm. same way? Um, And 
do that unapologetically. Don't feel like you have to sustain a friendship just because you had it when right. tragedy happened. That That's just not the case. There's, there are seasons for things in life and do not feel guilt or shame because a friendship doesn't work out after tragedy happens. Pursue the people that will pursue you. Um, pursue the people that you can call at three in the morning with some kind of major tragedy that are going to show up for you. Right. Um, and it will very quickly put you in a place where you have a have a village around you and a village that you know cares about your child the way you do or a village that cares about you the yeah. way that you want to be cared for absolutely wow I, there could be a deep dive on every single one of those, and especially a duality that means the most to me and that's what I saw when you responded about the I don't want to be special yeah the that that's that duality of I I didn't ask for this and I, I hear that a lot when people are you know we see the the memes of you know this is making you stronger don't worry you're getting strong it's like I don't want to be strong no. I'm done being strong no. can we can I give that card back I would rather not and so there's a duality of I loved when you said I wanted to bring my home my child home with no special needs like that is reality and but this from this reality how do I want to move forward? There's both and that yes. both can be held. And part of the grief is being able to honor this place where you have to grieve that that wasn't the reality. Yes. And and being able to give yourself permission to grieve as often and to feel through that because it's feeling through that, that you can move forward. You can't just move forward, bootstrap it through. You've got to be able to honor the grief of the reality that didn't occur. Yes. Yeah. And, I, you know, this interesting moment happened. Um, I can't, I'm trying to remember how old Gabe was, maybe four or five. Um, in my head, I had always pictured, whether it was subconscious or more at a level of consciousness, I had always pictured the path that Gabe was on, kind of the road that we were on in his story, but also this path of like what would have happened had he not had the brain injury. Mm. And I lived with the balance of those two things. I'll constantly be thinking about, okay, you know, like I remember when he was three, we went to go view a school because we had to essentially, when you have a child with special needs, you can you can opt for private care or you can be in the school system. But if you decide not to do the school system, you have to deny the services provided by the state. So we went to view a school and um, I remember walking down this hall with all these little tiny superhero backpacks and unicorn backpacks. And mm. it just, I got in the car that day and it just hit me like, yeah. this is where Gabe would be if this hadn't happened. Um, but this moment came where I think in just God and all of his goodness through a series of events led me to the reality of there's no alternate path. Mm. this was our story all along mm. all the hard all the good this was our story all along I'm not this isn't this movie if you remember it sliding doors from back when we were you know teenagers that has Gwyneth Paltrow and she's oh, yeah, yeah, does yeah. she go through the door or not I can't remember yes. the specific it's not sliding doors this is my life mm. this is my life I I'm not juggling some alternate path I'm going to switch to one day. This, this is my story and I need to be present in it. And I think sometimes when we're thinking about what what life could have looked like if this thing hadn't happened, we miss the treasure that's happening right in front of us in the life that we're in. And so I think there's that's where the duality comes in. You have to balance these things in your life as you as you move forward. Absolutely. And you get there it's a process. To get there, just Very like much. how you said the, from the first 18 months to the, something shifted and you were like, this is our reality. And now I want to, I want to work on how I show up here. And that is, it's part of the grief process of getting, it is. and getting there. Wow. Such amazing information. I really would do another hour and dive deeper because you have been instrumental in just even helping understand just the, how to engage, uh, I personally, I remember a story of just my own children and their curiosity and how you were so gracious and helping me learn how you help other parents when they're engaging with Gabriel, that it's okay to ask questions. It's okay to point out the differences. And for little kids, they're just, they're going to point out what they see as different. Yes. <laughs> and how to approach that graciously. And I mean, just so many things that you have um, just taught 
me and my children throughout the years. And it's just powerful information, life-changing information that helps us show up better for others, um, which you've done today. Lots of good information. And I want to say thank you for being here. And I want to keep talking. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, um, I, I, I will talk to you anytime. Um, thank you for being you. You know, one of the things I didn't mention earlier is I am firmly convinced 100% that I, I wouldn't have Gabe if it wasn't for you. Um, the the amount of trauma he was going through at his birth, um, if anything else had been intervening, I don't think his body could have sustained it. And so our happenstance meeting and bonding over love of tacos and inappropriate jokes um, <laughs> led to led to the life that I love, the story that I wouldn't trade for anything. And so you, you mean the absolute world to me. And you've been one of those people that you are always there. You know, even if we hadn't seen each other in months, yes. I know I could call you and you would be there. And that's, um, that's what people need in their world. And so, yeah, I love, love sitting down talking to you and would do it anytime. Thank you. And um, hopefully I can have you on again because I'm sure I will get some feedback about more conversations on specifics because you are a vat of information for that. Um, thank you for being here. Thank you. <laughs>